first, I bring greetings from my family. My wife is in Florida. My children are at City Light serving in children's ministry this morning. So dad came over solo this morning, me and Jesus. And um, it was a beautiful ride over. Um, grateful for the opportunity to come and stand before you. But as I was driving this morning, coming over, I said, God, um, I, don't, I don't know why I'm here. And let me unpack that for you. Um, Pastor Mark called me week and a half ago on a Thursday. And um, the church that I used to serve at in Florida, it was a joke that sometimes my pastor would text me or call me on a, sun, on a Saturday night and be like, hey, I need you to be ready tomorrow morning to preach. So at that church, you had to just live holy because uh, you never know when you were getting called up. You couldn't be in the middle of a bad movie and get called up to preach the next morning. So you just had to live, live righteous. He said, I'm not doing that to you, I'm, I'm, um, but can you speak Sunday morning? And this was on a Thursday afternoon. And I said, yes. I don't know what I'm going to share, but, but yes. And so Friday morning, um, just kind of going about my day, and then the Lord said, you're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, that's different. And so this morning is going to be um, a different message for you because it's different for me. So, so like if you have your hat on of the normal three points in an illustration, you're not going to get that this morning. This morning is very personal. So the neat thing about, about that is, is that I didn't know that Sean was going to be at City Light leading worship that morning, and he didn't know I was going to be speaking, but there was this collision that happened, and I didn't know that the word was going to touch him, and then Pastor Mark was going to come back into my office on the following third Wednesday and say, hey, need you to go to Griffin. Okay. God, I don't know why, but I say Yes. You know, there are some times in life that you don't know the why with God. You just say, yes, Lord. Not all the time. There are times that you understand the why and you go into it with an understanding. But I'm finding more and more with the Lord as we say, God, lead us by your spirit. I want to be spirit led. I want to be fully obedient to your will. I want to give myself away. I want to be totally dependent on you. You know, sometimes with God, he just says, okay, I have need of you, but I'm not telling you why. So this morning, I'm just going to share what I shared last week, and we're going to let God take care of the why this morning. So before I get into the word, I would like for you to give your attention to the screen and watch this short video. Uh, the word accountability comes to mind, and I'm really on this journey right now discovering what true accountability is and that it's, first of all, it's, it's steeped in, in ancient scripture and this idea of real relationship. Um, I don't know if there is such a thing apart from accountability. My, I am prone to because love, love, love is like my mantra um, because of what I believe and I'm passionate about adding love and care and concern and value to people that way that sometimes I cannot keep people accountable. And so, like, I read The Advantage by Lencioni, and, and he talked about uh, uh, one of the last cowardice act of a leader is firing someone sometimes that you were never willing to keep accountable. And um, kind of in my line of work, so to speak, we just kind of love, hug, and hey, if you don't come to work today, if you don't deliver, if you don't produce, if you, don't, if you aren't good at your job, it's okay. God loves you. I love you. And that's sloppy. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. And so what I have learned from Russell, QB1, or coach, is that keeping each other accountable actually breeds intimacy. Um, it breeds camaraderie, and it's a beautiful thing. So 
I guess the only answer I could give right now is I'm really leaning into what does accountability look like? I don't think I'm good at it, and I want to be good at it. I love to love people, but part of loving people is saying, hey, you need to follow through. And I think that's where, you know, coach will love all the players, but oh my God. I mean, if they don't deliver, if they don't make the catch, if they don't run the route, if they don't make the block, he's the first guy in their face to say, you are letting, as he says, the team down and the family down. Pull your weight. And I think there's a beauty to that that actually breeds security because you're like, you know, dad or the coach is going to tell me the truth um, if I need to shore some things up. Avoiding conflict uh, minimizes the depth of relationship that you can experience and, of course, the excellence in which um, you can experience progress and fulfillment and uh, live, li live your dreams. And so um, we are conditioned, particularly if I could speak to people in the faith community, we're very conditioned to just like love, 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 it's all good. And it gets very um, greasy and it's not authentic. So I think you actually address, hey, there needs to be some conflict here and this is good. So we, this literally happened yesterday in one of our uh, executive meetings is two individuals in the meeting. I was like, hey, you're not saying anything. You just shut down. Um, you are clearly, visibly, your body language is you are frustrated. You guys need to have conflict right now and it's good. So let's go. And sure enough, this person was like, well, I feel like intimidated. And this person's like, what were you talking about? Well, six weeks ago. And I'm like, here we go. And I stopped him for a second and said, now, this is good. This is family. We're going to keep doing this. But before the emotion begins, we've got to set up like, okay, we're going to look for conflict in this relationship, in this business, in this organization, because it's going to be good for us. And it's going to keep us from being robots and show up to work where eventually we despise where we work because nobody's genuine and honest. And we end up talking at the water cooler about the person we should be talking to face to face. Just kind of let that pause happen. Because how do you start off a message with a video on conflict and accountability and the context that it breeds intimacy and true community and real family? That conflict and accountability breeds intimacy, true community, and should be something that's valued in family. Not something that we run from, but something that we actually embrace because without the embracing of conflict, we deny who we truly are and suppress our feelings and we're not truly transparent with one another. We're robots walking around acting like everything is good when on the inside we're silently frustrated and angry and then we become these little tea kettles that blow up at, in a moment and everybody wants to know why did that person blow up the way they did because they've been avoiding conflict for about two and a half years and then that one day in that one instant it couldn't be taken anymore and everything just came out in a flash it happens in marriages it happens on jobs it happens with parenting your children and you know what's crazy about conflict is that as soon as you hear that, you immediately think conflict with another person might be the angle that I'm going to go with this morning, but it's not. 
I'm not going to be giving you five ways how to deal with the person who's been irritating you and, and how, how, how to have a strategic, uh, uh, systematic approach to them. We're, we're how to verbal judo, and we're, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do that. How, how to decompress before you walk into the house because you know there's an issue there that you have to deal with. No, no, no. We're not, we're, we're not going there this morning. This morning is a little different because I'm going to talk about conflict from a very personal perspective. Now, what's interesting is Pastor Davis and Sean both gave an invitation for all of us to experience conflict with the Lord today. I'm going to tell you how it was framed. God has everything you need if you will just reach out to him. It sounds great. It sounds amazing. It sounds wonderful. It sounds easy. It's like watching a tutorial on how to cook the perfect Thanksgiving meal, and you open up the old cookbook from Julia Childs. I'm just going to go to the generation that's in the room. Come on, somebody. And then you, you see the picture of Martha Stewart living because Chip and Joanne Gaines don't do food. They just do wood. And so, so you have it, and it looks great. And you go, and you buy the ingredients and you got the cheesecloth and uh, man you're gonna infuse that thing and then you go like this is this is con and then there's tension because it doesn't seem as easy as it did by looking at it and sometimes that's what walking with the Lord is like it seems great it seems cinematic it seems like the perfect end to a hallmark movie but the moment you take God as at his word and you step into it conflict happens. So on the other side of your breakthrough that we sung about today, on the other side of your new traction with God, on the other side of a new infilling of his spirit, I promise you that before the day ends or the week ends or the month ends, there will be personal conflict on the inside of you to flush out what God is wanting to do in you and through you. And this has just been kind of like my little personal journey. It's my little perspective this morning. And so I want to call, call my message this morning, uh, so what now? Then you're going to have, yeah, because this morning I'm going to be looking at the screens a lot like an instructor from school. Uh, so what now? When the Bible confronts my life, so what now? So I'm going to give you kind of like, what, well, what do you mean by so what now? Here, here are some so what now moments. You get a bad report from the doctor. So what now? Unexpected bills come into your mailbox or your email or a text message. So what now? Getting prepared for vacation, for church, for that event that you have to be at. For work in the morning, you're dressed up, you're already five minutes behind. You walk out of the house only to experience a flat tire. So what now? Changes on your job. That's a so what now moment. Your young child is acting like a teenager. Your teenager is being a teenager. Your adult child is acting like a teenager. So what now? I have teenagers in my house, so it's all con contextual, okay? So you kind of know where I'm at in life right now. We're navigating this beautiful field called raising teenage children. Yeah, haven't figured it out yet, so I don't have five ways to do it effectively. Yeah, we're just kind of stuck in the moment right now. We're in survival mode. As far as me and my house, we're going to make it. Uh, we're going to try to serve the Lord, but we're going to make it right now. That's what we're holding on to. Sometimes you guys got to walk by faith, y'all. 
You just got to claim it. Like, I, I think we're doing it. We're not quite there yet, but we're going to fake it till we make it. Or faith it, as some people might say. Yeah, I'm just being a little transparent. Because I can't, I, can't, I can't speak this morning without transparency. Because this morning I'm going to talk about, like, like, my personal tension of a what now moment. And here's the thing. Here's what makes a what now moment so difficult. It immediately challenges your thought processes to figure out how to respond to it. That's the tension. That's the conflict. The moment you step into it, my thought processes kick in to try to figure out what is the best course of action to deal with this what now moment. And the scary thing in life happens when you encounter so what now moments and you have no point of reference to look back on to navigate forward. There's no wisdom. There's no book. There's not enough money. There's no one to call. You're in the moment dealing with the confrontation, trying to figure out how to navigate. There's no Enneagram number for this one. There's no Myers-Briggs test for this one. What do I do with the conflict in the moment? We just came out of Converge a couple weeks ago. And my God, if you were able to be in the building or go online and watch any of it, all the speakers were just dropping cool little one-liners, and man, people were shouting and amening and yes, Lord, and some people even went like, have you ever done the low-key thing? Went to somebody who wasn't there and be like, hey, you missed it, listen to this, with hopes that their life would be transformed. Oh, just me, thank you, that one person who laughed, who's just going to be honest with me this morning. Because none of us have never low-key went to somebody and be like, they should have been here today. Because if they would have been here, that issue they're going through, God would have worked it out. And that's their problem. They keep missing God. So you low-key send them the link in a text message. I think you were really, in, but you don't word it that way. You just be like, oh, man, God really moved this morning. I think you'll enjoy this. But underneath the surface, you're hoping that there's some testimony of a breakthrough after they watch it. And then you get mad when you go, when you follow up. Hey, by, by chance, did you watch that? No, we were too busy. That's your problem. You're too busy for God. Yeah, I've maybe done it. I don't have enough fingers to count, <laughs> Davis. <laughs> I, yeah, trying to be God in people's lives trying to be Holy Spirit Junior. Now, there are moments that God will say, hey, send this to somebody. So I'm not saying that sending someone a word is wrong. But what I am saying is sometimes like God has had to check my motive of why I am telling that to the person. But in the midst of uh, Converge, there were a lot of truths that were said that for me that were very confrontational. And so what do you do in a what now moment when you're confronted with truth and the truth is from God's word? but you're not okay with it. What do you do with that? There, 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 we were in LaGrange, and there was a, a moment, and I don't know, I don't know who was speaking. It was one of them, and there were, and I'm just going to be transparent this morning. Most of the people from City Light are not going to watch this, so hey, I'm out there. Let's run with it, okay? It's all good. We're just there. Yeah, we're just there, and so there was like 
love the person. And, man, they're like, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And in my mind, I'm like, bro, if you would just shut up for a moment and listen to the word of God, you would find out this is not a shouting verse. This is not a oh God moment. This is like, ooh, I probably should be quiet and ponder what the word of God is saying. I'm like, dude, you're such an amen junkie. You're missing it. And I am low-key like, God, shut their mouth. They're a distraction. But what I have found, have you ever noticed when the Spirit of God is moving or you're speaking truth to someone and the Spirit within them doesn't like it, people get nervous. They get jittery. They use language as a distraction. Have you ever been confronting someone with something or speaking truth and they always want to change the subject and they want to, and you got to boomerang that thing back and they, they have a way. They're really good as, as you're trying to really speak to what needs to be said, even in love with the right tone and the right voice. And they're, they're going live and you're like, and then you got to bring it back because the moment you're confronted with truth, we get really nervous. And when the Holy Spirit is involved, it has a way of just making everything inside of me go, ooh, no, not this. God. Let me just claim your promises. Let me just talk about the breakthrough moments. But I found that God won't let me get away from that. So I have a couple of verses this morning that I want to go through that have personally created what now moments for me. But before I do that, I want to tell you about the process that everyone will go through in a what now moment, whether if it was from Converge or whether if it's from this morning or whether if it's something that God spoke to you two years ago. And you've just kind of silently forgotten about it, maybe walked away from it, maybe suppressed it in the subconscious of your mind. And whenever that thing pops back up, you're like, no, not that God. All the other stuff we can talk about, all the other stuff we can deal with. But God, no, 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 don't bring that verse up to me. Don't bring that spiritual moment up to me. No, 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 God, don't take me back to the place where you marked me and spoke to me and I knew it was clear and I, and I was declaring it and I was speaking it. But then as I tried to walk in it, I experienced opposition from the devil and then conflict within my flesh. So it was easier to retreat than to advance. Because I didn't like the tension of the moment. And so here's some of the process that will take place as you deal with a what now moment. You'll do it this morning. It's human nature, by the way. This is human nature of what we do. You will either, um, you will agree and do nothing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Woo. I hope they got it. Yes, Davis, that was amazing. So glad that happened to you. You'll agree and do nothing. You will disagree and just keep moving on. I disagree with that. Pat Schatzlein, I disagree. Bill Lee, I disagree. Bill Wilson, I disagree. Mike Dow, I disagree. Romeo Billups, I disagree. I disagree. I reject the word that you're speaking right now. It does not align with my theological preferences or understanding. They're not the same. So I reject it. I disagree. And boom. Or you'll do this one. You will ponder on the word because you're not sure. Almost like Jesus' mom when he's in the temple as a lad and he's like dropping truth bombs on him. 
and they're like, bro, this little dude right here, bro's got it going on. He's going to be the next or he's going to be the youngest ordained bishop in every organization. He's going to be a catalyst. He's going to be a church on the move. He's going to be an elevation. He is the man. He's young and he's got it going on. He's just dropping bombs out there. And it says his mother pondered these things in her heart. She understood the revelation of, a, of who he was. She gave birth to him. But even in this moment, it says she kind of took it in and mentally processing all that's happening. Sometimes we get confronted with things that I'm not quite sure. So, God, I'm going to ponder on that. I'm going to soak on it. I'm going to mark that. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to totally disagree. I just need you to give me a little bit of clarity and understanding because this is new to me. So, so, so I have a story of this. There's a young man from our church. He's at Lee right now. Uh, Pre-med, actually in his senior year of high school, this just happened. He went with a Bonte over to Korea and Japan for six months in, for the last of his senior year. So now he's at Lee. And so we were, he, his last Wednesday with us was like, I don't know, like three, three weeks ago or something. And so we're having a conversation, just kind of checking in and we got on the topic. And so I, I said something to him and his response to me was, I agree with half, and you understand, he's 18, very literal. Again, again, he's pre-med, so he's very analytical. And he says, I agree with half of what you said, and I disagree with the other half. And I said, cool. I said, since we already know what we agree on, let's not talk about that. I want to talk about the points that we disagree on. Not for the sake of arguing, but for the sake of understanding. Watch this. Because I value you, not just because I've been your youth pastor for the last seven years. I value you because of the relationship. Ready for this? So as, as the video was saying, so if, if your perspective brings tension into my life because now I'm confronted with something that I hadn't thought about, I will embrace the tension of the conversation for the sake of understanding and relationship. I don't want to assume that I know it all. And so you might unpack something that has my brain thinking in another way that might make me want to go and ponder. And even if we walk away from it and we still disagree, I won't disown you and throw you away because I love you. I'm not going to let an opinion that will change next week hinder a true relationship. I'm not going to let an opinion that will change. We will both change. You will get older, I will get older, and we will formulate our thought processes differently. And so let me now walk into the tension of this as we talk about what we disagree on and value one another. Can we disagree and still value one another? Can we disagree and still love one another? Can we disagree and still worship the same God? Can we disagree and still hang out at the family reunion? Can we disagree and still break bread at a restaurant after church? The conflict. Or number four, you agree and then you deal with the implications of changing your life to align with what is God is saying to you. Whew. I'm going to read that one again. When confronted with truth, you agree with it. Amen. Yes. 
Now I'm going to align my life with truth. See, the, see, one of the things, see, I'm going to talk about me because it's easier when you talk about yourself. One of the problems that I've had in my life over the time that I have been, I gave my life to Christ when I was 18, is that I would not align my life with truth. I would just embrace it and regurgitate it with a bunch of head knowledge. Without aligning my life, that my life would actually look like the word that I'm aligned with. That's called being fruitful. That's called being a disciple. I just don't embrace truth. I align my life with it so it transforms me from the inside out. Now what comes out of my mouth, actually you can see manifested in actions and in speech and with the works of my hands. But the problem with that is that there is a cost to obedience. There is a cost to commitment. Anyone who's been married longer than 24 hours, well, maybe longer than 24 hours, we'll give you a month. You'll realize there is a cost to commitment. Anyone who's raising their children and in there in the house, you're, you're realizing there is a cost to commitment. Commitment, you know, it doesn't come cheap. There is a cost to being faithful, as in the natural, as in the spiritual. Anyone in this room who is walking out faithfulness in a relationship that has tension and problems and issues, you understand that there is a cost to faithfulness. Speak in tongues all you want. Learn Greek and Hebrew. But at the end of the day, I choose to still love. I choose to still come home. I did a wedding yesterday for, for two 20-year-olds. was nervous as heck. They're young and in love. Been dating since they were in the ninth grade. And I did their wedding. And I looked at that 20-year-old young man, and I said, dude, you're about to become the priest of your home. You have no idea what you're stepping into right now. But it is ordained by God, and you're called to cover, not just provide, and pr provide money and provide safety. Because, bro, if you can't cover spiritually, you uncover her. I don't care how much money you got in the bank. So I looked that young man dead in his face to let him know if you get out from under God's authority, your whole house will be erect. That's a lot of weight for a 20-year-old boy who's ready to go on his honeymoon. But I wanted him to feel the implications of that. Commitment's going to cost you, buddy. You just don't get the friend's benefits now. You just don't get to say, I brought the money home. I got guns so I can protect the house. The question is, if you don't cover right, she will submit incorrectly. She submits not to your bank account. She submits not to your muscle. She, she submits to the godly authority placed on your life through alignment. Ooh, okay. I didn't say that last week. <laughs> Okay, let's make it personal. This is where it's going to get really different. Because all of that this morning felt like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a normal sermon and stuff. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I had 10. I narrowed it down to five. I am going to unpack for you five verses from my heart. I have no notes. 
I have no notes. I'm going to read straight from the screen and unpack in my heart how these Bible verses have confronted my life. And the reason why I want to do it with no notes is because no one, most people don't approach their Bible with a Matthew Henry commentary, a Strong's concordance, and then Greek and Hebrew, and then open up their Bible for the very first time and, and do the word. No, they read it at face value and try to figure out what is God saying. And in a generation today that uses the version app, they don't even know what a commentary is. They have no idea what a Knave's topical Bible is. They don't know. They're reading the word and reposting based off of the face value of it. So this morning, I'm going to unpack, for me personally, five verses that have caused me and are causing me personal conflict. And my prayer is, by the end of this message today, you will have Bible verses in your life that you are wrestling with, or you're going to have some Bible verses in your life that God is causing personal conflict. Because here's why in the midst of the conflict with the verse is transformation and molding if I am not being confronted and conflicted am I truly being changed being challenged is good Having a good mentor, a good coach. I love the fact that um, Judah Smith said that if coach sees someone not pulling their weight, what he's talking about is he's the chaplain for the Seattle Seahawks. And what he was saying is, is that coach will affirm everybody, but if somebody on the team is not pulling their weight, he's the first one in their face saying, you're letting the family down. Pull your weight, buddy. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to confront you. Why? Because confrontation done in the right way will get you to change your thought processes as you think is as you go. And if you change your thinking, you can change your actions. And if you change your actions in the right way, the whole family benefits from it. Is this okay this morning? I told you it was going to be, it was different for me. No one wants to be off this stage quicker than me this morning. Okay. (laughs) So if you're like, my gosh, when is he going to be done? As soon as I can put this mic down, your boy is gone. (laughs) I didn't ask to come here this morning. Sean and God had an encounter. (laughs) And I am the fruit of that encounter this morning. (laughs) So here I am. All right, so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from, from my notes, and we're just going to go. So can you just throw my first Bible verse up? Boom. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. So I'm like, yeah, when I was a youth pastor, man, I've been a youth pastor for, I'm going on 22 years now, some a little older. So I remember preaching this back in the Hillsong day, and they had this song called, uh, I Will Go to You to the ends of the earth and we get up in front of the youth group and we'll be like God wants you to be disciples of nations to win your school cue the song to the end of the earth everyone who wants to go come and the kids would come because they felt like it was the spiritual thing to do and I'm gonna win my school not even saved I'm gonna win my they don't even like their school I'm gonna win my school and there, there's a problem with that <laughs> I'm not I'm not aligned with the verse, but I want everyone else to do it because I said it. And God's like, go back and read it. Ooh. 
So now, Romeo, go in my authority, which means that I don't go in my own strength, and I must be tapped into the one who gives authority. Which means that if you get the authority wrong, you can't even fulfill the verse. I can't even fulfill the verse. He already set it up, which means that now I must submit to a power higher than what I understand or know. And he says, and make disciples, which means that it can't be fabricated. I can't buy it in a box. I can't get it from a conference. I can't give it to someone in a tape. I got to go through a laborious process of making something. And any of you who know when you got to build something from scratch with instructions, it's not always easy. And, I'm, and I know what I'm supposed to make. I looked at the cookbook, and I know what it's supposed to look like, but what came out of the oven didn't quite look like the picture. Now, do I need to redo it again? Did I get something wrong? Did I have the right pan? Was it a convection oven that they used, or was it a regular oven? Oh, my gosh, I'm not quite sure. And I'm to make disciples of all nations, which means that in order for me to fulfill this, I need to know what a disciple is. And now I have to grapple with the fact, am I one? See, this is why I don't like it. It's about me. Because I can't, I can't make something that I'm not. If not, what I'll do is I'll reproduce me, and it will be a perversion of, of, of what God really wants. Any of you who are raising children, you know the most scariest thing is when you see your unsaved you and your little seedlet running around the house, and then you realize, oh, no, 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 no. I know where that attitude came from. I know where that mannerism came from. And if we don't deal with that, that's good. No, children's ministry, youth ministry is not going to fix that. Some only come out through fasting and prayer. So if we don't get before the Lord, that thing right there is going to give us a headache at 16. I'll preach to myself. So we fasting about some stuff right now in my house. Because the apple fell really too close to the tree. Yeah, and it's scary because you already know. Ah, oh, that's not good. And I'm to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, which means that just giving people information, Romeo, isn't good enough. There should be a transformation through conversion that brings them into the body of Christ. Now they're being baptized, filled with the Spirit, and you're a part of the process. So you just can't give people information. You have to walk with them in relationship till they get the revelation. Revelation. So, Romeo, are you available or are you too busy? I know you want to grab a microphone and yell at people and tell them what to do, but don't forget your youth group days when you used to preach this without being it. Okay, God, now you all up in my bed. And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. Which means, Romeo, if you're not following my commandments, you can't tell them a thing. And if you do, you're going to reproduce bad fruit. And sometimes when we look around the American church culture, we see a lot of reproduced bad fruit. More is caught than taught. 
Show me the five people you hang around the most, and it will give me a picture of your personality and the framework of your language and your mindset. Gossipers hang around gossipers. Broke people hang around broke people. Angry people love angry people. Come on, somebody. Sneakerheads love sneakerheads. I got to hit the sneakerheads. A sneakerhead. Oh, they're like, what's a, a Snickers? No, not a Snickers. A sneakerhead. Okay. Okay. All right. Gen Z language here. They are, they are individuals that pay way too much money. I will be one of them for tennis shoes that are made in the same warehouse and sold for different price points. <laughs> They're made on the same assembly line, but the same tennis shoe coming off of assembly line two can cost $300, and the shoe coming off assembly line one can cost $100, and then they, they, they beat people up to get it. Mom, bye, 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 bye. It's called a sneakerhead, and they love hanging around each other. That's why, that's why young people look at people's feet, not their face. Okay? You ever see young people walking around doing this all the time? What are... Bob, what are they looking at? I don't know, Susan. Come on, let's just go to church. Oh, it's the sneakerheads. Those crazy kids pray that they become disciples. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like this because there's, there's too much of God and not enough of me in this. There's submission. There's understanding. There's commandments. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. To faithfully follow. Remember I said earlier there's a cost to faithfulness? Faithfulness is not popular. Honor is not popular. It is, but it's to whatever our, our heart is attached to. <laughs> whatever has a person's heart, that's where their faithfulness will be. That's where their dedication will be. That's the thing they'll talk about the most. It's where they'll spend their money, and that's where their opinions and arguments will come from. I pray that we would have a day that some of the things that we would be opinionated about that we would begin to fight for would be things like marriage. And I'm not talking about the institution of it, it's a man and a woman. I'm talking about how Satan is attacking houses and husbands and wives are wanting to throw in the towel and walk away. And we would get so angry at the devil that we would fight for households. I'm going to say this because I said it last week. My daughters are not here. And so when I say this, please hear my heart. Please hear my heart. If you were to ask my 12-year-old and 15-year-old any questions, and I wish that they were here so you could actually do it, about politics and current issues and culture, my children would not have an opinion. My children wouldn't have an opinion. Here's why. We don't indoctrinate them with that. You know what we indoctrinate them with? To faithfully follow Jesus. And to be filled with the spirit. They're not ignorant to culture. But they're not indoctrinated with culture. I teach them to be kingdom minded. And as long as they're in our house, we get to control the environment. When they go off to college and be 18, you get your opinions all you want. But as for right now, my 12-year-old is going to learn how to do her homework. She's going to be preparing for college. She's going to fall radically in love with Jesus. And she's going to be able to walk into culture and not be pulled in her heartstring by opinions that are going to change next year. They don't have opinions about COVID. They, they just don't have them. You know what I got to teach my children about right now? Pedophiles. 
got a 15-year-old who works at Publix. You know what I got to teach her now? Sweetheart, sometimes when you're pushing those carts out to the car, that man that you're pushing, Daddy, this guy tried to give me a tip, and don't take the tip. And he was really friendly. Sweetheart, what I want to let you know, we live in Georgia. It's a hot spot. We rank number five in the nation for sex trafficking. So what I want to let you know, you're 15, and there's some 45-year-old deacon who doesn't have his heart right with God that's looking at you as a piece of meat. So that's what I got to teach my kids about. I'm more concerned about them being sex trafficked than some of the other things. And I hate the fact that I have to teach them that. Because I want my children being followers of Jesus. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is strong enough and mighty enough and more intellectual to guide them in the way that they should go. Actually, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit goes up into the heavens and talks to God, comes back down and reveals things to us that we know not of. Which means that it's more than just she coming in a Honda and look at you in your Subaru. I got no laughs here. They, they died laughing last week when I said that. They just, bro, they just fell out. They were like, ah, look at you in your Subaru. Ah, yeah, it didn't go over well. Okay, next verse. (laughs) I I wrestle with this one. Oh, got ahead of myself. Another verse that I wrestle with. Romeo, you know if you put your name at the beginning of certain verses, it really makes it hard. Romeo, dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go. And the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. What values are you teaching your children? I wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. That bothered me. I'm reading in the Passion Translation, if you're one. One, it says, ready, surrender. Here we go again. Dedicate your children to God, which means there is a releasing to the Lord, which means that as a parent, I have a relationship with God, and I know whom I give my children over to. We live in a world today, because I'm a youth pastor, we're giving our children over to Snapchat and to Instagram and to opinions of this world. And we're giving our children over, and I'm not against sports. My children have, uh, my daughter had a volleyball game. They got another volleyball game on Tuesday. And we're giving them over to, to sports. And my daughter works a job. She had to work yesterday. And so we balance life out. And so we were giving them over to work. But are we dedicating them to God? Are we dead? So I have to write and point them in the way that they should go, which means that it, it's somehow tied to this discipleship thing because discipleship starts first at home, not in children's ministry and in the youth group. Love you, bro, but you and I are not supposed to be the first line of defense of a generation. It's unfair. It's unfair. You know what you and I are supposed to do? We're supposed to come, for kids who live in Christian homes, we're just supposed to come into alignment with what they're already learning about the Lord and support the family unit that they grow up quicker, that they get to be lights to the other kids coming in because we're doing proper fishing and we're bringing in kids that don't know Jesus. So now they get to look at the church kids and see what it looks like to follow Christ. But somewhere we got it twisted. Somewhere we got it twisted. And so, so I, I, I don't send my kids to church to find God. I hope they're finding God at home. And then when they come to church, it just gets more. It's like, it's like extra. It's like the bonus content on the DVD. 
and the values they've learned from you will be with them forever, which means more is caught than taught. Values are learned behaviors. In our house, when you walk in the front door, we have one of those little cool little like target boards. You can get one at like Hobby Lobby or whatever, where you can put the little letters on. I, I don't know what you call them, but it was cool. Everybody was doing it. Let's be trendy too. So we got one. And it's got the Billups values on it. Everyone who walks in our house walks past it. It's got things like honor, trust, family, generosity, giving, Jesus. And what we do is we should be able to look in the house every six months or so and see, do our actions and our lifestyle align with our values? Do our actions in our lifestyle align, not, not, not our religious activity. Lord forbid that all we would teach a generation is how to show up on time and serve. <laughs> the kingdom is not scheduled, it's lived. It's lived. As a parent, I wrestle with this. Because the substitute for God in America is called the local church. God didn't mean it to be that way. It's not what God intended it for be. It's just easier to come in. It's like plug and play software. Oh, I hope I don't have to do a lot with this new thing I got. Oh, wait, they made it so easy for us. Look, all we had to do was plug it in. It's walking us through the step. We didn't even have to think. God wants us to think. Because as our thinking goes, we go. And I truly believe we could see change in culture, not by telling culture how to be, but by us becoming the thing that we want them to be. This is not a clapping message, and I'm preaching to myself as I preach to you. So let's go to the next verse. Let's get off of children. Oh, God. I don't like the Bible. I, I, this is going to sound really bad, but I don't mean it this way. I wish, I wish the Bible was just like current worship. It just blesses me and makes me feel good about my life. <laughs> it just makes me feel good. It's all about my breakthrough. It's all about getting this. About getting that. I don't say that. I had to go back. I was talking to some worship leaders. I said, help me understand the current state of worship music. I said, because it makes me feel like my life is full of problems and Jesus is my answer. And so I, I said, dude, I went back and listened to some stuff from the 90s. I mean, like some early Jason Upton, some early Hill. I got convicted, like, on song two, bro. They were talking about, like, adoration to the Lord, some old Jonathan Stockstill. I mean, I was getting convicted. I was like, I don't think I know God when I sing these songs. I'm like, who are these people talking about? Bring back the rivers and the oceans in my peace. I'm like, oh, God. They're talking about laying before your throne. I don't want to lay before a throne. I want to get set free. <laughs> laying before a throne sounds complicated. <laughs> so is the word. I've, they tell you in communication when you're saying stuff that's heavy, make people laugh. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, they say it's, it's a communication thing. Like one of those John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar type people said some of that stuff. So it's good stuff. Okay. Oh, God, really? Trust in the Lord completely. Got a problem with completely. I got a problem with that. Because I don't know the depths of what complete means. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much ownership you want, God. 
I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling. I give myself away. I used to sing that. Now I can't no more. So you, because once God actually shows up and says, oh, cool, you sang to me. I want to use you. And then there's tension and conflict. You're like, no, 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 God. Like, I meant that I would give myself away like twice a week at a certain time. And then and, and, and I got limits to how you can use me. So God, if you and I can kind of work out our schedule with one another, I will be the most faithful servant you've ever had. But please don't ask me to come in with this complete four-hearted thing. Don't ask me to like trust in the Lord, like lordship. No, tell me to trust in the Holy Spirit. Makes me feel better. Makes me feel like you're going to use me with power, signs and wonders or something. Like Jesus, oh Jesus, like like Jesus helps me not go to Hades. I don't want to burn in hell. Jesus is like my breakthrough. But the Lord... No, you like, like, bro, like you went to the top of the chart. Like, nah, like, and I got to trust. I don't even know what trust is. I got, I got issues. I don't trust people because I've been wounded and hurt. So if I don't trust people, God, how can I fully trust you? <laughs> God, I got trust issues. Now you're saying to trust you and trust you completely. Ready for this? And do not rely on your own opinions. Ooh. Remember earlier I talked about opinions and values? With all your heart, my heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Verse 6, as a guy, I struggle with this. Become intimate with him. Intimacy, God? Yeah. Like, like you don't mean like sexually? Nope. You know what I mean? Like Valentine's Day kind of stuff. Like I kind of get like intimacy, you know, like Hallmark movie, Christmas time, boy, girl thing. Like, nope, there's a different type of intimacy and you need to have it with God. And whatever you do, he will lead you wherever you go. It's funny that trust, heart, complete and intimacy seem to be game changers on him leading. And I, I remember saying this last week and I said, you know what's crazy about this? I wonder if my children could say, we know daddy lives that out because he's intimate with us. I wonder if my wife could say, I know my husband is intimate with the Lord because he's intimate with me beyond sex. If I'm not even intimate with my family, am I truly intimate with God? I wrestle with that. I wrestle because he, he's not going to let me get away. No, I, mean, I, know, I know you want to provide for your children. I, I, I know, I, I know you, got, you, got, you got a gun downstairs. You got your hollow points. You don't ever want to use it, but you got it. I, I know you want to provide safety. You got all the security measures on the house. But, but are you intimate with your family based off of your intimacy with me? Are you covering correctly? So, Romeo, you need to learn as a man... Women go here more naturally. Men don't. So now, Romeo, I want you to learn intimacy and stillness with me. One of the things that happens when we start using words like this with men in the local church, it makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't see words like intimacy correlate with being masculine. But you're talking about a God who created the universe, who could wipe this whole planet out with just a, a move of his finger, and he calls for intimacy, and I dare question what he wants? See, this is the problem. 
This is the problem that I wrestle with because he's asking me to go to a place with him that can only be done by the Spirit. So I must be with God to go to this place of intimacy with him. And I have to learn how to trust and completely rely on him and get over my opinions. First of all, God is not against us having our opinions. They are our thought processes. Okay, reasoning, common sense, they're beautiful things. But when, ready for this, when my opinions become stakes in the ground that God can't move, he's got a problem with it. When I draw the line and say, God, I don't care what you say, my opinion tells me. And see, I can be preconditioned with my opinions from past things that have happened in my life. That's why I need people in my life who think differently than me because they change my algorithm. If everybody in your circle thinks like you, acts like you, dresses like you, you are pre-programmed and you will always find someone to agree with how you think. You need that one person in your life that irritates you, that when you say something or do something, they say, I disagree with that. I think you're going in the wrong direction. God will put people like that in your life to trim the fat off of you, to prune you, to let you know that you don't know everything. And we're really good today at creating silos in our relationships that everybody thinks the same way. Everybody's going in the same direction. This is not motivational speaking where they say, if you want to make money, hang around people who got money. If you want to be a doctor, hang out with doctors. I'm talking about spiritual formation. I want, I want a Baker Davis in my life. This is, I disagree with you on that, but I love you. Because if we're not careful, we are pre-programming our lives with a preset algorithm called relationships. And God just might want to break up the circle and insert someone that is so different. It makes you have to relearn how to connect with people. Yeah, I felt, I'm a, God said, move on. Okay, because yeah, y'all looking at me like, bro, can you be done, please? <laughs> the, don't forget, these are my verses. What are yours? Next verse. Ooh. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see that every single verse that we've talked about is, has relationship attached to it with God. So we know that he's talking to believers. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who were spiritually mature people. This one doesn't go over well with people who say they know the Bible. This one right here. I wrestle with this. For you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with solid food of more advanced teachings because you were not ready for it. In fact, you were still not ready to be fed solid food. Next verse. For you are living lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Your earthly carnal thinking, Romeo, your opinions that are not kingdom set, they are not kingdom minded, they are of this world, and you are fleshly. You say the right things, you got the books, you went to the conference, but when I look at your life in comparison to what I say the kingdom is, young man, you're still a baby. And you're dominated. Ask yourselves, 
Is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourself with others? Ready? Oh, ready for this? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? <laughs> Do you fight about your opinions and then take sides? If so, this proves that you are living your lives centered on yourselves. Romeo, you're narcissistic. It's all about you and what you want and your rights. And you were dominated by the mindset of the flesh, Romeo. And your actions, because as your mind goes, your action goes. And your verbiage goes. And then I don't know how you say this kindly to people. And Romeo, you're acting like a non-believer. Whoa. So first I was a spiritual infant. Now you've reduced me to someone who doesn't even have a relationship with God. And then you chastised me and said, you should have grown up by now. Get out of your religious habits. You should be beyond this. This should be beyond you. There should be more fruit on the vine, Romeo. There should be more wisdom coming out of your mouth, Romeo. I believe that we are in the days, and I'm going to say it, that God is separating the wheat from the chaff. He is separating. He is calling out his bride and he is separating the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I believe we are in dividing point in the kingdom of earth. Not everybody is going. And when I say going, I mean not everybody wants to go with God. Not everybody wants to go with truth. They want to go with culture. They want to go with what's popular. They want to go with what's trendy. They want to go with what makes them feel good. I'm not talking about whether if you got lights or smoke or don't have lights and smoke. I'm talking about the word of God and living for Jesus and manifesting his glory on the earth. I'm not talking about social media status or likes or comments. No, no, no. I'm talking about that when you walk into a building, people sense something different by your presence. And when I open my mouth, they see a human being using language framed in a way that doesn't align with the current Christian popular slogans. Been listening to a lot of audio books from Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody, and man, they're just wrecking my life. <laughs> They're just changing me that it's a complete following and surrender of the Lord. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Not perfect. Not perfect. See, the problem with this is that I can't perform my way into this. I can't talent my way into this. I can't dress my way into this. I surrender and die my way into this. It doesn't matter how much I know. It matters how I live. Let me say it again. It doesn't matter how much I know. Learn Greek and Hebrew. Great. My gosh. Learn the Torah. Go to the Old Testament. Man, man, be able to quote prophecy. Oh, my Lord. Be able to give pinpoint accuracy of everything that's being said on Elijah's list. Great. That's great. Be able to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. Satan did that. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Remember when Moses came before Pharaoh and he had his staff and he threw it down and it turned into a snake? It said the, the musicians that were there also threw down theirs and theirs also turned into snakes. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It also says that they did miracles too. There are things that are signs and wonders in the Bible that are demonic in nature. They're not kingdom inspired. So this full surrender, so, so I knew this morning I didn't want to come because I knew it wasn't an amen shouting message. I knew it wasn't like, oh, you need to listen to this message. Like, okay, God, you got a reason this morning for this. I didn't want to preach it in LaGrange. I didn't want to preach it here because I'm preaching to myself. I wrestle with every single last one of these verses. They confront me in a way that makes me question God. Have I fully surrendered to you? Have I really given it all to you? Or have I bought in to this entrepreneurial corporate ladder thing called church success? God, have I read too many business books on strategy, on how to grow the bride when you gave me your Bible? And if you told me I would just live it, I would catch men and there would be fruit. Next verse. <laughs> I only want to read it. Bro with the bedazzled hat. Can you come back on the keys, bro? I said bedazzled because I forgot your name. I hope that didn't offend you. I just that's what my kids would say. Bling bling. <laughs> How do you make death look good to a generation? That's what we're selling. We're not selling programs. We're selling death that produces life. It's the gospel. It's the God going to all the world. That means someone's going on the mission field. Someone's going to Asia. Someone's going to Africa. Someone's going to the Ukraine. Someone's going to Afghanistan. Someone must go. How do you sell death? How do you sell be not of this world? And make it sound so good that people say, I'll sign up for that. Romeo, remember I said, put your name, whatever verse God gives you, put your name in front of it. Romeo, stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. I haven't been on Facebook or Instagram for over three months. June 10th, it was the day of our 20-year wedding anniversary. I did a post to honor my wife because that's the smart thing to do even though she doesn't care about it. And I got off. Because I got a lot of opinions. I got, since we're family, if you haven't noticed, I'm a black man living in America. I got some opinions. That's not a racist comment. That's not a political comment. It's a natural fact. And I couldn't keep looking at my social media screen and not be thinking with a kingdom mindset. So I had to get away from culture and get into the kingdom. It's not that I'm not aware. It's not that I'm not plugged in a little bit. But I'm going to be more kingdom minded. So when I step into culture, I am a weapon in the hand of God. Not some puppet that Satan can manipulate with a heartstring pull. I'm not a 
puppet. I'm a child of God. I want to make hell pay. But I won't do it imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around me. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy, Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and ready, perfect in his eyes. I don't care what culture thinks about me. Because the more you live for Jesus, culture's not going to like you. It's the difficulty with youth ministry right now. It's, the, it's I, I, I don't know how they keep trying to make, like, the Bible look cool on Instagram. I told somebody, I said, get off TikTok. You got people holding up their Bible, like, with the perfect screen, like, John 3.16 today. <laughs> really, boo? <laughs> really? You're beautifully and wonderfully made. Look at my outfit. Click. I'm not against it, but I tell my daughters, I said, boo-boo, I, I, I want to see them one day with no makeup on saying it was rough, but God is good. <laughs> it was a rough night, y'all. Still in process. Click. <laughs> I want some transparency. I want some realness. I'm like, no. I said, Christian Instagram page look like sorority pages. And then they come to the youth group and we preach Jesus and the Holy Spirit and death. They got two opinions. I'm not talking about not being relevant. I don't know what that means. How, how do you make Jesus relevant? How do you read this to your 12-year-old? And say, sweetheart, if you do this, you'll be perfect in the eyes of the Lord. So I need you to not be totally concerned about the eyes of your friends. I know it's going to be difficult because I understand peer pressure and I understand culture. We let our 15-year-old go out on Saturday, yesterday, with three friends from school. But we did an algorithm test. Who's going? Leah, Chelsea, and Madison, okay? We know Madison. Her dad is the soccer coach at Callaway High School. Her mom's a teacher, Okay. We know Leah. Leah's parents used to own the marina in LaGrange. They know them. They're Catholic. Okay. We know that. And then we know we know Charlsey. Okay. We, we, we know that her mom's on the board at the school. Okay. We're cool. We know that we think we think one of them goes to church, but not all. And so, but we know one of them's got a dominant personality that could lead the group astray. And so we did an algorithm test and we saw the group was balanced enough that if somebody decided to go cray cray, even though they all didn't love Jesus, we weren't going to see them on the front page of LaGrange News. <laughs> Okay? You got to do an algorithm test, y'all. You got to test the algorithm. Algorithm is everything in 2020. It's everything. You can go. But when she left, but before she left, I said, if, that, if something begins to go off, I said, don't be the loudest one in the group. If something goes wrong, I don't want to hear that you were the one. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, we got some values I want you to go into culture, but I understand. And with a group of 15-year-old girls downtown at LaGrange with no, no parents, there's, there's culture pulling. They're, they're, yeah, and so, and so, but, but we want her to be a part. So we, so we let her go. And then, and then we do a debrief. How was it? <laughs> and then we let her talk. Okay, cool. Algorithm test. 
Because if you start saying something that, 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 that doesn't have the culture of the kingdom in it, we want to, I, I don't want to admonish and beat you, but I do want to say, okay, like, now why should we not think that way? Why should we not respond that way? Why? Because I understand that if I can train her up in the way that she should go, when she's out with other 15-year-old girls, they see a, 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 something that looks like them but speaks differently and talks differently. So I need her going, but I can't have her all caught up in culture. Next verse. Last one, y'all. Last one. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I have a problem with that because that means there is an improper response. It's the framework. Framework and language is everything with me. I listen to what people say and how they say it. Because your language tells me a lot. My, if you listen to me, I'm going to tell you a lot about who I am and what comes out of my mouth. And if you stay around somebody long enough, long, who's not truly transparent in the beginning, not that they're fake, they just don't let their real selves out, all, all of a sudden you'll see a shift in the land. Like, oh, there's the real person. Been waiting for them to pop up. Okay, we've gotten beyond the surface thing. Now the real person's coming out because language is going to tell me where your heart is at. Language is going to tell me what you're thinking. That's why we need to have people that we can talk with who are different than us so that we can learn to his marvelous mercies, which means that I now have to understand that his mercies are new every morning and they are marvelous and that he does love me and his grace is sufficient. And because of his goodness and because of his mercies and because he's God and he sent his stuff to die, I should, there should be a response to that. I encourage you to surrender yourselves. Ah, I struggle because now you're telling me this whole complete thing, this heart thing, this trust thing, this all-in thing. It keeps coming up with you, God, and I, you won't let me get away from it. It says I encourage you now to surrender yourselves to God, to his sacred living sacrifices and living holiness. Holiness, who talks about sanctification in 2020? Who talks about living pure in 2020? I was going to the, to the cadre last Sunday when I left the church, and I was listening to a message from Randy Alcone on sexual purity. He wrote a book called The Purity Principle. I wasn't listening to it because I was struggling with pornography. I was listening to it because I wanted to be confronted again. And oh my God, did he confront me of what my eyes were gazing on. And he went to a level of holiness that I wanted to call legalism because he was challenging me on what I would view on the television, even if it was PG. And I'm like, that's legalism. You're trying to control me. And he's like, no, this is the Bible. Now be confronted with it and choose this day whom you will serve. I don't like that. Because I, 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 holiness is more about sexual purity. But now you're saying that there's this reverence God that I will come before who's holy. And I am to live as a sacrifice. Sacrifices die experiencing all that delights his heart. Remember the narcissism with my opinions? It's not about me. It's about him. And then this becomes my genuine expression of worship. You're telling me that there is a place in worship beyond the words? In holiness and in purity of heart? 
that I am before the Lamb of God, the one who was slain, that I could even worship him, that I'm in my right mind because of him, that my life should be evident of that. His marvelous mercies, least I take it for granted and belittle my God. It's like falling out of love with your spouse or your children. Anything you fall out of love with, you take, you take for granted. Anything that you don't value, you take for granted. Because it's not important anymore. So I have to always reflect on his marvelous mercies. At least I come in on a Wednesday or on a Sunday or wake up every morning thinking it was something in my own strength that woke me up. It was something in my own strength that gave me these abilities. It was something in my own strength that got that car out there. It was something in my own strength that makes me make the money that I made. They know that I respond every day to the one who sent his son to die for me because he's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my adoration. He's worthy of my sacrifice. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy to confront me to be molded and shaped into his image that my life would bear fruit and it would be fruit that remained and this world will reject me because they rejected him and I'm not trying to fit in I'm trying to live as an ambassador on the earth as a light on a hill I want to be his handiwork on the earth And I get it through confrontation. <laughs> Not activity. I get it through stillness in his presence. You can never become like a God that you can't see or hear. When's the last time you've seen his face? I'm not saying his, his physical face, but you felt like you were in, in the presence and Jesus was like, I feel you. Abba, you're here. You're here. I, I feel you. I sense you, God. You're in this room. You're in my bedroom. No, 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 God. Like, 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 I've cultivated a place and a relationship and intimacy, and I've left my life op open to you, and you, you've walked in, and now I don't know how to respond because I'm in the presence of the one who created me, and words fail me. <laughs> words fail me. God, restore us to a place or grow us to a place or take us to a place where words fail us in your presence that we hunger and thirst for righteousness that we understand God that living for you is going to be beautiful and it's going to be awesome and God you don't mind us having things you don't mind us being blessed you don't mind us formulating thought processes God you just don't want the thought processes to have us you don't want the bank account to have us you don't want culture to have us Lord these are your blessings but we don't live for the blessings we live for the relationship and then we just walk out the benefits of living right before you so if you give it or take it God we don't care we just want you so God do whatever you have to do to get your bride ready and right for the return of your son
Can you just close your eyes? Yeah. God, I ask in your, in your wonderful mercy and that your love for us you would begin to put words in our heart and in our mind and before our eyes that we wrestle with, but we embrace to be inwardly transformed so that we become an outward expression of you on the earth. To the person who's maybe here, God, and they're like, I don't even know this Jesus you're talking about. I don't even own a Bible. I don't even have the app on my phone. God, I love your grace and your mercy because it's an invitation for them to come to know you, to be able to go on this beautiful journey and let them not run from it being fearful that, oh my gosh, following God brings conflict. No, it just makes the flesh want to get right so that the spirit can thrive. It just makes my flesh want to be less so that you can increase in me and rise in power and authority in me so I'm not bound by the things of this earth, sickness and perversion and anger and pride and grief and sorrow. God, no, I'm not overwhelmed by these things, God, because the more you come in me, they begin to leave. And the things that I must walk out and walk through, I do it with the comfort of the Holy Spirit within me because I know that you would never leave me nor forsake me. So if you're pruning me, prune. If you're molding me, mold. If you're blessing me, bless. If you're chastising, chastising. But oh God, just like King David, don't let me get away from your spirit. Do not depart from me, God. Restore the awe and wonder of knowing you. Restore the awe and the wonder. God, return us to our first love. I pray now for some of you in the room, you've just been so frustrated and tired, not from growing weary, just something's hit and you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the zeal and there's no more, not a pep in a step, but you just like, you just feel like you're just going through the motions. And God, I pray a fresh wind upon the sons and daughters of God this morning, God. A fresh wind wind, God. Rekindle the fire within. Rekindle the fire within. Thank you for listening to today's Sunday podcast. If you'd like to keep up with the latest podcast, please subscribe to the Pastor Mark and Michelle Davenport podcast in Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. If you'd like more information about City Light Church, please visit citylightchurch.net. Or if you'd like more information about Griffin Centerpoint Church, please visit gcpcog.com.